This is uh, Stewardship Sunday. It is our kind of tradition in this church annually about this time of year uh, to have a sermon uh, in which uh, we especially uh, consider what it means to use our time and our talents and our money, really all of our possessions, for the Lord and for His uh, glory. So we're taking a break from our series on Galatians, and uh, today we'll be looking at Luke's Gospel in just three verses today, some words of our Lord Jesus Christ out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And our text is verses 32 through 34. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verses uh, 32 through 34. Let's now uh, hear these words of our Lord Jesus. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's look to the Lord again in prayer. Lord, our uh, God in heaven, we do desire today, O Lord, that these beautiful, wonderful words of our Lord Jesus would be opened up. Lord, our God, that you would grant that we would have attentive minds, responsive hearts to that truth that we hear today. Lord, we know that in a world of lies, here is a book that is full of words of truth, utter and complete truth. Lord, grant us the faith to believe what your word says and to act on it. We need the help of your spirit to do this. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Perhaps there are some of you in this room uh, who have never given a thought in the world to the subject of money. Well, perhaps if you're under about the age of three, you never have, and everybody else here likely has at some point or another. In fact, I imagine that for most of you, Money is something that you give daily thought to. Uh, Money troubles are one of the most common sources of stress in people's lives. Uh, People are often led to deep anxiety, discouragement, fear, or even panic over matters of money. 
Money sometimes leads people to be angry and short with others. People regret stupid decisions that they've made in the past. Debt that has been created. Opportunities that have been missed. And they worry about how they're going to pay bills in the future. Money has led many to sleepless nights. Many couples say that they fight more about money than about anything else in their life together. So money is something that very obviously impacts many of us in our day-to-day lives. Uh, But as Christian, but money is also an important part, really, of Christian discipleship. And it's important that as Christians in the area of our money and possessions, like any other area in our lives, that we need to set this thing in the larger context of God's redeeming work in our lives. It's not that our relationship to God has kind of one little sphere, one part of our lives, and well, money and things, that's something entirely different that has no connection to our relationship. Uh, to God. Just the opposite. God is the one who gives us our money. Our Lord is the one who promises to take care of our needs. And our Lord is the one who calls us to use money in ways that are honoring to Him. As I considered what passage to preach on uh, for this uh, sermon this year, uh, my own eyes came across this passage in Luke's Gospel, and I thought, what a beautiful appropriate passage this is uh, to this whole uh, subject, because what our Lord Jesus is doing here is he is setting the issue of money and things in a, in a larger context, namely the context of the Lord giving us a kingdom which can never be taken away from us. So that's what I want us to do today, to consider this subject of money and things and how we are to use this in the context in which our Lord Jesus Christ puts it in this passage out of Luke 12. And so we're going to open up this passage really under three different uh, points. First of all, we are going to, the uh, first point is going to uh, uh, be that you are to recognize that a kingdom has been freely given to you which money can never buy. So the first thing is a call to recognize something. Recognize that a kingdom has been freely given to you, which money can never buy. But then secondly, we're going to see that recognizing that you have freely been given this kingdom frees you from sinful anxiety about money. Recognizing that you have freely been given this kingdom frees you from sinful anxiety about money. And then thirdly, recognizing that you have freely been given this kingdom frees you to give generously for the kingdom's sake. Recognizing that you have freely been given the kingdom frees you to give generously for the the kingdom's sake. And so you see the outline of the sermon. We're first of all going to ask you to recognize something, and then in light of that recognition, uh, to experience two different kinds of freedom. A freedom from anxiety and a freedom to give generously. Uh, the first of the points, again, is that we need to recognize that a kingdom has been freely given to you, 
which money can never buy. You know, what does it mean uh, to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? You may say, well, to be a Christian means to be a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. If I'm a Christian, I am one who is seeking to obey Christ's word, uh, to follow his example, to know Jesus as the Lord of my life. And that would be a true answer. That is one of the marks of a Christian. Every true Christian is a disciple of Jesus. But there is something more fundamental than that to being a Christian. What is a Christian? Well, we would say even before being a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a Christian is to be a recipient of a gift that has freely and generously been given by our Heavenly Father. To be a Christian is, first of all, about that which we receive before it's about that which we do or that which we give. And what we have received is a gift that we have not earned, but rather it is a gift that has been earned for us by Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. And the gift that you and I have received graciously and freely from the Lord is the gift of a kingdom. That you and I have been given the gift of a kingdom. And our then living for Jesus Christ is always a response to that gift that has been freely given to us. Now the greatness of that gift is described for us by our Lord in verses 32 and 33. And this is an absolutely beautiful description. I hope that when we read it the first time, and certainly as we read it again, that as it were, your heart will sing at these words that our Lord Jesus speaks to us. He says to us, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're told a number of things here that are absolutely beautiful. We're told, first of all, who this gift is from. It is from your Father. What a description this is of God. Don't skip over those words in a, in a, a just sort of, a, uh, you know, just, just moving past them. Here, the God of heaven and earth, the one who created all things, is here described as your father. And a father who is better than any earthly father, a father who loves us, who cares for us, who is generous toward us, who looks out for our needs. He is the one who, through Jesus Christ and His redeeming work, has become our Father in heaven. So, dear friends, if you are a Christian today, no matter whatever your uh, earthly situation, no matter what your family here on earth has been like, you have a Father who is better than any other. Your Father. Well, what has your Father done for you, dear Christian. And this is our second point here, that we see here the Father's delight in giving. Not only who this gift is from, but the Father's delight in giving. He says, your Father, it is your Father's 
good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I wonder if any of you in this room enjoy giving gifts. Probably many of you do. We especially enjoy giving a gift when it's somebody that we love and it's a gift that we know that they're going to like. So we kind of beam with delight as we see them unwrap the gift. And we look at the expression on their face as they they receive it. And it gives us great joy. Well, if it gives us great joy to give good gifts to people that we love, is it not a matter of our Father's great pleasure to give us this extraordinary gift of a kingdom? And he says to us, here is the kingdom. And it says it is his good pleasure. He doesn't give it begrudgingly. He doesn't give it with hesitation or with reservation or in the back of his mind thinking, well, I'm going to give it. They absolutely don't deserve it and they're probably going to foul it up. He says, no, here, I freely, lovingly, joyfully give to my children this kingdom. Father's delight in giving. But then the third thing that we see is the actual value of the gift that he gives. It's from the Father. He takes delight. But then we see the value of this gift. And the gift is nothing less than the kingdom that he gives us. You remember uh, that story of Queen Esther in the Old Testament and King Ahasuerus holds out the scepter. Esther is allowed to come into the presence. A feast is held. Do you remember what the king says to Esther? He says to Esther, Queen, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. Here's one of the most powerful men of that period saying to Queen Esther, just ask, even up to half of the entire kingdom that I have, it can be yours. Wow, our heads swim. What? what it would be to be in Esther's shoes to have somebody so powerful offering us even up to to half of the kingdom. And you might say, I've never been offered anything close to that. You know, sometimes we we look at these these kids who have these billionaire parents, and we think, what would it be like to grow up as one of those kids, you know? Have private jets and vacation homes in in various places to, it seems, never have anything that money, money couldn't buy you? What would it be like to be one of those kids to inherit all of those things, to inherit the parents' company that they own and that kind of thing? And we think, what, what an extraordinary thing that would, that would be. But do you, hear, do you see what our Lord is saying? Your father, what is your father saying? He is saying, well, I give to you not just a few measly vacation homes or a private jet, that's nothing. I give to you not just half of the kingdom like Esther was offered, an earthly kingdom that would disappear after another hundred years or so, but rather I give to you the kingdom, our Lord's kingdom, the kingdom which has been purchased at the cost of the blood of Jesus Christ, the kingdom which is never ever going to pass away out of existence. And here our Lord says, this kingdom is yours. Freely. It's a gift. 
All of it. And, and immediately we want to kind of put certain reservations on this. Well, you don't really mean that, Lord, do you? Uh, there's some fine print somewhere that I'm missing. There's some clause that I, I, I surely am not going to be, be fulfilled. Uh, you know, I think it was, well, I can say it, she's not here right now. My mother-in-law says one of her greatest fears in all of life is that she'll find that she's secretly disqualified for something, you know. And it's, uh, and many of us, we kind of have that, uh, that we, we have the fine print sort of, uh, and, uh, and she would have, I would have said that with her permission here. <laughs> this is not, uh, but it, you know, that we're afraid that we're going to be kind of secretly disqualified from whatever it is that we have. Well, here the Lord says, no, I gift you that kingdom. It is mine at my word. Okay, it is all yours. What a gift this is from our loving Heavenly Father. Well, then at the end of verse 33, he goes on to describe the value of this kingdom, and he does it in terms of a treasure. He says, well, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And here he's saying to have this kingdom is, to have, is like having money bags. You might think of a kind of a bank account. And not just a bank account that sort of sits there unchanged, but rather a kind that is added to and multiplied every day. It's a, it's a kind of stock portfolio that is always increasing in value. And he says it is, it is like a treasure. Here you think of uh, the greatest possessions that one ever could own. But he says this treasure, what you have in the kingdom, is a treasure which is out of the reach of any thief. It can't be stolen from you. It is out of the reach of any hurricane or any war or any kind of market collapse. It is a treasure that can never, ever be taken from us. It is a treasure that isn't even uh, taken from us when we die, like earthly riches are. And so to possess this kingdom, our Lord Jesus says, is to have riches that are more permanent, more enduring, and for, far more valuable than any earthly thing that you ever could imagine. And if you are a Christian, this is the kingdom that you have been given. You have it now you will have it even in fuller possession in glory. What a kingdom this is. It is the kingdom of our Lord. It is a kingdom in which we are reconciled to God the King. It is a kingdom in which we know that we have a King who is ruling over everything for our good and for His glory. It is a kingdom in which we have been freed from a from both the guilt and the power of our sin. It is a kingdom in which we are utterly protected from Satan and from any other enemy which would seek to have its way with our souls. It is a kingdom in which we have a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is a kingdom which one day is going to consist in having a sinless soul joined to a glorified body in a renewed creation in the presence of our God forever and ever and ever. That is the kingdom that you have freely been given in Jesus Christ. Let me just say here a word of application. 
to each one of you. And it is to simply ask, is this the kingdom that you are seeking? You see, if your heart is set on merely an earthly kingdom, that is, in this world, simply having more money, more pleasure, more status, craving the acceptance of others, seeking contentment in your earthly possessions, if so, this kingdom will not satisfy you. You will never get it. You will never be able to achieve it. And even if you did, you would find that it does not ultimately satisfy you. So what I want to call each of you today is to receive the gift of this kingdom, which our Lord Jesus promises to all who belong to him. How can you receive this gift of this kingdom? Well, it's so simple. You confess that you are a sinner, that by your own works you have merited nothing, that what you deserve from the hand of the Lord is death and hell for your sin. But then you look to Jesus Christ and you see that everything that I need is found in him. He died for my sin. He has risen from the dead, and I trust now in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to all who have cast themselves upon the Lord in faith, this kingdom is given in its entirety, in its fullness, beyond what you can possibly imagine. This kingdom belongs to everyone who places their faith in Christ. Why would you not seek a heavenly kingdom like this? Why would you not receive the gift that is given by such a gracious Father? Wouldn't you do it? Cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the gift of this kingdom. So that's the first point, that he calls you, if you are not a Christian today, to have faith in Jesus Christ and to receive this kingdom. And if you are one who has trusted in Jesus Christ, to recognize it is to live in light daily, to remember on a daily basis all that you have received, that you have freely and graciously been given a kingdom which money cannot buy. It's yours in its fullness. Our Lord Jesus has said so. It's yours. Well, that moves us on now to the second point. What's the implications of this? That's what we're going to be opening up in our final two points. So second major point today. Recognizing that you have freely been given the kingdom, okay? If that is true, when you recognize that, when you have that in the forefront of your mind, what is the result? Well, one of the results is, is that it frees you from sinful anxiety about money. It frees you from sinful anxiety about money. Now, as I opened today's sermon by saying, there are many situations in life that do make us worried and concerned about money. Let me just 
give you a few hypothetical situations. Perhaps you would even identify with one of these. Okay, you can think of a couple uh, married to each other. Uh, uh, each of them, was random names, Bill and Marie, married to each other. Each work relatively low-paying jobs. And they've been able through their life to just kind of make it paycheck to paycheck. That week's paycheck goes towards that week's bills. And they've not been able to get much ahead of that. But then it suddenly seems that everything's going wrong at once. Their furnace goes out. Okay. Uh, One of them uh, gets into a car accident and the car suddenly needs some, some repairs. Or their adult child suddenly uh, uh, is in desperate need of some money and some help himself and appeals to his parents, can you help me with anything? And it seems like it's a perfect storm. Everything at once demanding money, money, money that they don't have. What are they to do? Or you can think of somebody else who's been working at a job uh, 30 years. Again, random name, Tom, who's been working at a job 30 years. And suddenly, unexpectedly, loses that job. Perhaps is able to go on unemployment for a season, but unemployment doesn't give him his full salary that he once had. It's a little later in life and finding that no one wants to hire somebody at his age. And what's more than that, they continue to have a mortgage on their house, and perhaps it was an adjustable rate mortgage, and suddenly... Seven years have just come to an end. And the rate increases, the market's not at all in a good situation, and they are financially strapped. He doesn't know what to do. Stays up at night. He's working very hard to find something new, but no new job comes, and he's concerned about his money. Or to give another example, you could think of a, of a young couple. Uh, Again, they choose to get, uh, they get married, uh, married young, okay? Um, and this young couple, uh, then uh, along comes a baby as well. Both of them are still finishing school. They have college debts to pay off. Again, they are barely making it by. They rejoice at the thought of a child coming, but child children cost money. Where is money supposed to come from? Well, again, we could multiply examples like these, but these are kind of real-life examples. Perhaps you identify with some of these. Or perhaps perhaps some of you are in a situation where you're rather comfortable financially, but you know what? Even when you're comfortable financially, you don't stop worrying about money and about, well, are you going to be able to maintain the level of living, the standard of living that you're now accustomed to. Money often does bring anxiety into people's lives. But if you are a Christian today, I want you to hear afresh Jesus's words to you in this passage, because he tells you here, O dear child of God, fear not, little flock. Whatever situation you're in, Whatever life circumstances are going on in your life, your Lord Jesus comes to you with all tenderness and compassion, and he tells you, don't be afraid. And he 
he views you as a kind of flock, like a bunch of sheep, right? Sheep are often helpless. They're vulnerable to predators. Sheep are easily frightened. But our Lord Jesus here describes us as as his flock. He is our shepherd. He calls us that because he is the shepherd of us. He is the one who has pledged to protect us and care for us and provide for us. And he tells you in whatever situation you're in, do not be afraid. For remember, as he's saying here, that I have given you a kingdom. Now, you notice that this doesn't mean that you won't face financial hardship as a Christian. Often you will. Some of you definitely will. But he's saying as you go through it, hear the voice of your Savior telling you, do not be afraid. Remember that your heavenly Father has given you a kingdom. Well, what does this mean in a very practical way? to be freed from anxiety about money and things because we have a heavenly father like this. Let me just give four words of direction. First of all, it means that we need to daily trust that our father is able to meet our needs. Do you have a heavenly father who owns all things? Is he able to meet the needs that you have? And the answer has to be yes. Look with me at verses 29 through 31 of our passage. He tells us, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And, these are the words, verse 30, your heavenly, or and your Father knows that you need them. You know, that whatever needs that you have, It has not escaped the knowledge of your Father. He knows every one of them. He has not forgotten. And so part of the way of faith is to daily trust the Lord to provide for us. He's done it in the past. He provided for that widow of Zarephath. He has provided for countless others. Many of you in this room can give testimony to extraordinary ways in which your Heavenly Father has provided you in days gone by. And with each hardship comes a fresh opportunity to trust the Lord for our daily needs. The second direction is this. You need to turn to Him then in believing prayer for what you need. That is, that our needs should turn us to the Lord. You know, part of the Lord's Prayer. One of the examples that Jesus gives us of a kind of petition that he is so pleased to answer is, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Things that we need for today, Lord, please provide. Do you know that in God's grand scheme, that our financial hardship, whether it be a sudden loss of a job or an investment that goes awry and loses you serious money, even mounting debt themselves can be opportunities for tremendous spiritual growth because it can drive you to the Lord and to seek Him in prayer. So we need to seek the Lord with our daily needs. Third bit of direction, though, is this. It is that we need to learn contentment in our present situation. 
learn contentment in our present situation. You know, sometimes when we face hardship or need, it means that we may need to cut expenses, right? We take practical steps. It might mean that you need to even downsize your home or to cut out certain extras in your life or to forego a vacation that you are hoping to take. And some of you, when you have to cut things like this, cut expenses because of your situation, you can be tempted to to be depressed about it, right? You kind of think, well, I thought at this stage of life I wasn't going to have to do this kind of thing. I was expecting to be more comfortable than I am at at this stage of of my life that I thought I would have a higher standard of living. And, And it can kind of drive you to a kind of despair. And what we need to remember at moments like that, dear friends, is that if you are in Jesus Christ, you are not a loser in his kingdom. He has freely given you all that you need. You are possessors of a kingdom that can never be taken. You are richer than you can possibly be, than you can possibly imagine. You are a child of the king. And allow that to drive you to a state of joy and happiness and contentment wherever the Lord has you in your present circumstances. Let's seek contentment. But then the fourth direction concerning anxiety, not only do we need to trust our Father to meet our needs, turning to Him in believing prayer, being content in our present situation, but the fourth thing then is to make your chief concerns the matters of the kingdom. That is, even when faced with hardship or difficulty, whenever you are tempted to be anxious about money or possessions or things, might you, by God's grace, say, I'm going to turn all of this mental energy and all of this worry, and I'm going to set my mind rather on other things, namely the concerns of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Listen to what our Lord says in verse 34 in our passage. He says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I ask you, where is your treasure, really? Is it in your diminishing bank account? If that's where your treasure is, then your heart is going to be there worrying and upset and depressed over money that's not there. But if your heart is not in your earthly treasure, but in heavenly treasure, if your heart is with the Lord, then even in periods of difficulty and distress, we can find ourselves rejoicing in the Lord and praying for the advance of his kingdom and giving ourselves to kingdom service and making our chief delight and our chief concern the things of him and of his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, our Lord says. And that's not only when things are going well, even in times of difficulty, when tempted to be anxious with other things, he says to you, seek first the kingdom of God. Let your heart be where your treasure really is. And make those things the chief things in your life. And when you are faced with hardship, might some of your chief questions be not simply, well, how am I going to get more money and pay my bills, but rather, how is my walk with the Lord? Am I reading His Word? Am I delighting in Him in prayer? 
Am I seeking to keep a clear conscience before Him in the way that I am living? Am I investing myself in the church, in the kingdom of God? How is my prayer life for others, not just for myself? We give ourselves to kingdom concerns. And dear friends, as we do this, and as we recognize that we have been freely given this kingdom which can never be taken, and which money cannot buy, might we then indeed be freed from sinful anxiety. But now let's, lastly, our last point is this now. Recognizing that you have freely been given the kingdom frees you not only from sinful anxiety, but now lastly, frees you to give generously for the kingdom's sake. What what do the people of this world want money to provide for them? I think safety, security is one thing, right? Validation, kind of in the competition of life. Power, money is power to control life and circumstances. Money, for many people, helps them obtain possessions or experiences which give enjoyment and pleasure. Money can provide status, which enables us, perhaps, to impress others. And money, as well, can secure relationships, that is, it enables us sometimes to identify with a particular group. Okay, those are some of the things, at least, that I came up with. That's what money provides, I think, for many. But do you see, if you go through that list that, I have just, that I've just given you, Money is given for safety, for validation, for power, for possessions, for status, and for relationships. Do you see that when our Heavenly Father gives us the kingdom, He gives us all of those things as well? Every one of those things is part of His free gift. Every one of them is part of what He is freely bestowing on us in giving us the kingdom. And so all of those things which the world is seeking after with their money, we have been given freely by our Lord in abundant measure. And if that's the case, then what do we do then with the money that that God has has given us? What is is the purpose then of the money? Well, the purpose of the money then that we have is that we are then stewards of it to use it for the glory of God. We recognize that it's His that He's entrusted to us to use for His glory. I think that's what we have then in verse 33. That's what logically pieces all of this together in our passage. He says, because it has been our Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, what should we do then? Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's what you should do. Now, understand what our Lord is saying here. He is not forbidding private ownership. Okay, Marxism, which believes in the government's redistribution of wealth, is a system which finds no support in Holy Scripture. That's not at all what our Lord is saying in this passage. In fact, if you go through Holy Scripture, you find 
people who owned things and who had various levels of means. Some of them very wealthy. People like Abraham and Solomon were wealthy. Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman, a seller of purple. Aquila and Priscilla had a home that was large enough for the church to meet in not just a home, their home that they that they owned, okay? And so people do own things in Scripture, and that's that's perfectly good. So what is then commanded in a passage like this? Well, what's commanded here is that we, if we have been given the kingdom by the Lord, that we then would hang loosely onto the goods of this world and be willing freely to give. Freely we have received. Let's freely give as well. What does this mean? Well, on the one hand, with the money that the Lord gives us, we are to supply for our own needs and for the needs of our household. As well, it is perfectly appropriate to lay up some money for future use. The book of Proverbs has things to say about that. Okay? So that we will not be a burden to others later. But what the Bible does then command us to is a kind of liberality and generosity with the things that we have, with our money, with our homes, with our cars, of saying, Lord, everything that I own is a gift of yours. How can I now use it for your glory? And that would be the the primary mindset that we have. Is there a brother or sister who is in need? That our first impulse is to try to meet their need where we have opportunity. Is there a missionary that needs support? Well, that we would have a desire, Lord, if you've given me the means, might I, might I use the money to support that missionary so they can take the gospel out among others? Are there Christian organizations, whether it be Christian schools or Bible translation efforts or Christian relief work that are doing that is doing good work? Well, might we have an eye to supporting those things to hanging loosely onto the possessions we have and using them for these greater goods. Might we support the work of the local church? It was mentioned earlier that I do think that the Bible gives us a kind of baseline of uh, 10% of our, of our income that we then look to giving for the cause of the gospel and through the ministry of the, of the local church. And do you know that when we give in these ways, dear friends, when we give in these ways, that it ends up being the very best investment that you ever could make. Sometimes we talk about sacrificial giving, and there's a sense in which I understand what that language means. We sometimes have to say no to things in order to give. We might not have the same standard of living as others of our same income level who are not Christians because we are diverting that money to causes of the kingdom. But at the end of the day, do you know, it's not really that much of a sacrifice. It's actually the very best investment that we could ever make with our money. I mean, if somebody came to you and said, I have a proven track record of picking stocks over the last 10 years, all of the stocks that I have chosen have 100 times in value increased. You might first be a little bit skeptical. 
But if you look at all the hard data and you realize this person has really done it, they just really have an eye to these things, well, you're likely going to be all ears when they say, how about you invest a little bit of money in this particular stock? And we think that's not a sacrifice. That's an investment. Well, dear friends, what our Lord has called us to do is to invest in something that is far better than any single company that you'll find on the New York Stock Exchange. And it's the kingdom of God that pays eternal dividends. Because what does the Lord do when we give money to his kingdom? Dear friends, he takes those dollars and cents, the little bit that's withdrawn from your bank account when you write a check. He takes that money, and that money then is used for a variety of purposes. That money is used to go send a missionary who perhaps is translating the scriptures in a language that people yet don't have so that people are going to be able to read the word of God in their own language and some of them come to faith in Christ. That money that you give, those dollars and cents are used by the Lord to see that this building exists and that in a community here where there is very little gospel witness, that there is a place where people can go and there's a preacher that is paid to open up the scriptures so that people would hear the word of God, so that in these very pews, as has happened many times in the last decades, and we trust will happen many times yet in the future decades, people are going to be brought from death to life in this very room. And Christians are going to be built up in the faith and made more like their Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you tell me, is that a good investment? <laughs> Look what the money is able to do, and by God, under God's direction, under his sovereign hand. And so we give in that way. He's saying, you've been given the kingdom. So let's use our money for kingdom purposes then. It frees us having such a glorious heavenly father. Is there possibly a better investment than this? And let me just say this as well, that I can tell you that as your pastor here, how encouraged I have been over these past, over many years, whole time that I've been with you, but to see many of you doing this very thing. I don't know what any of you gives in particular. I don't look at any of that information. I don't know what any single one of you gives, the amount of money, but what I do know is that as a church, that in a community like this, and I know many of your life situations, that we are giving and that we have a budget. We had a budget last year that is considerably larger than the budget was the year before, and we are even exceeding this budget. And over these past years, we've been able to make various improvements to this building. We've been able to sustain the work of two pastors. We have increased missions giving. Dear friends, we have done a lot of different things sustain a gospel ministry in this place and to support gospel ministry in different places throughout the world. And can I just encourage you in this? It is a good work. Keep going, brothers and sisters, in this. Let's keep being a people who are willing to give for the sake of the kingdom. Might the Lord help us in this. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for uh, the promise, Lord, that 
We have been given a kingdom. A kingdom, O Lord, that is like money bags that do not grow old and treasure in heaven that does not fail, that no thief can touch and nor moth destroy. And Lord, having been such free recipients of this kingdom, we pray that we would respond in faith, O Lord, that you would free us from anxiety, that when tempted to be anxious, that we would look to you for our needs, that we would turn to you in prayer, that we would seek contentment in our present situation, that we would make kingdom concerns our own. Lord, that you would make us a generous people, a people who use the money that you have entrusted to us for kingdom purposes. O Lord, how freely you have given to us, let us freely then give. Help us, we pray, as we come to the table now. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.